You are arriving to your ER shift, and your colleague is sending out Troy, a nine-week-old male who comes in for fever and lethargy. You learn that Troy has not been acting himself for the last week or two, and his pediatrician and parents have been concerned about poor weight gain over the past two months. He was born full term, and his parents recall that there was a finding on his kidneys prenatally on ultrasound that they were supposed to have a postnatal ultrasound for, but haven't been able to schedule it yet. Your colleague is pretty concerned about Troy, as on exam he was lethargic and his abdomen seemed slightly distended and dull to percussion. His temperature is 101.2 Fahrenheit, his heart rate is 182 beats per minute, respiratory rate 36 breaths per minute, and blood pressure 80 over 45 millimeters of mercury. His oxygen saturation is 99% on room air. Troy is currently receiving a bolus of normal saline and labs have returned with a sodium of 131 milliequivalents per liter, potassium of 6.2, chloride of 105, bicarbonate of 12 milliequivalents per liter, and a BUN of 54 and creatinine of 2.8 milligrams per deciliter. As you prepare to explain your concerns to his parents about Troy's impaired kidney function, you wonder, is this a reversible cause of kidney injury and what is Troy's prognosis for the long term? Consider your answer as we begin this next episode. Welcome to Audiobricks. I'm Adam Weinstein, bringing nephrology from our bricks to your ears. Let's also get started demonstrating how kids are not little adults. After completing this episode, you will be able to 1. Describe the congenital anomalies of the kidney and discuss their management and outcomes. 2. Describe congenital anomalies of the ureter and urinary bladder and discuss their evaluation and management. And three, discuss the condition of posterior valves, including its complications and immediate management and long-term outcomes. Part one, what are congenital anomalies of the urinary system? Malformations of the kidneys, ureters, bladder, and urethra make up approximately 20% of all congenital anomalies. The overall incidence of all congenital urinary disorders is variously described as between 0.05% and 1% of all live births. They are more common in males and often coexist with other congenital anomalies, including, and especially, other congenital anomalies of the urinary tract. They are the leading cause of childhood chronic kidney disease, or CKD, and end-stage renal disease, representing up to 30-50% to of childhood cases. We will discuss the most common congenital anomalies of the kidney and urinary tract from top to bottom in this episode. Many of these conditions are detected prenatally through ultrasound, and the most common prenatal urinary tract abnormality is hydronephrosis. Fortunately, most of these cases do not represent pathology and rather a temporary swelling of the renal pelvis, which resolves on its own by birth or soon thereafter. One theory is that this may be due to not yet fully developed smooth muscle, and so drainage of the urinary tract as it is forming may be slow, but improve with age. Importantly, a minority of prenatal urinary tract dilatation may be pathologic and associated with chronic kidney disease or increased risk for urinary tract infection. So the physician must use other clues and postnatal evaluation to distinguish between these divergent outcomes. 
most severely congenital abnormalities of the urinary tract may present with in utero renal dysfunction, including oligohydramnios. This lack of amniotic fluid around the fetus can lead to other developmental defects of the face, extremities, and lungs, and are sometimes life-threatening. Potter's sequence is one complication of oligo or anhydramnios. This cascade of fetal abnormalities stems from the lack of amniotic fluid, leading to limb deformities such as hip dislocation and extremity contractures, facial abnormalities, for example, a recessed chin and flattened nose, and pulmonary hypoplasia, which, if significant enough, may lead to postnatal respiratory failure and death. Part 2. What are the common congenital abnormalities of the kidney? Congenital malformations of the kidney mostly arise from various errors during development of the metanephric kidneys. These errors may include failure of the metanephric kidney to form, leading to renal agenesis, abnormal interaction between the metanephric kidney and the ureteric bud, leading to various forms of renal dysplasia, and abnormalities in metanephric kidney migration, leading to renal ectopia, and fusion of the two kidneys, leading to horseshoe kidney as one example. Let's begin our discussion of congenital renal abnormalities with horseshoe kidney. In horseshoe kidney, the two kidneys form abnormally close together, such that the lower poles form fused during development. When the fused poles migrate upward during growth of the surrounding structures, the fused midline portion becomes trapped just below the level of the inferior mesenteric artery, which is a midline branch of the abdominal aorta. This gives the fused kidneys their characteristic horseshoe, or U-shape, and places them lower in the abdomen, where they are less protected than usual. The horseshoe kidney itself is not symptomatic and is often detected incidentally on imaging studies done for another reason. However, patients with horseshoe kidneys are at greater risk for other abnormalities of the urinary tract, including obstruction at the ureteropelvic junction or in the ureteral bladder insertion, either of which leading to hydronephrosis and risk for stones and urinary tract infection. All of these abnormalities will be discussed later in this episode. Let's stop here for a quick question review. Okay, so what is a common complication of a horseshoe kidney? A common complication of a horseshoe kidney is obstruction, leading to risk for renal stones and urinary tract infection. Moving on to ectopic kidneys, ectopic kidneys typically occur due to the failure of migration of one or both kidneys from the pelvis to the upper abdomen. The pelvis is the most common location for ectopia. Notably, the ectopic kidney is typically supplied by a local artery rather than a renal artery, and it is usually smaller than normal and may have coexisting renal dysplasia, which again, we'll discuss more in detail in a few minutes. Patients with renal ectopia are usually asymptomatic, and the finding is detected incidentally or through prenatal imaging. If the contralateral, normally located kidney is healthy, it may undergo compensatory enlargement for the abnormal and dysplastic ectopic kidney. There is also an increased risk of other lower urinary tract abnormalities, like ureteral obstructions and vesicoureteral reflux, making these patients at greater risk for CKD and hypertension, as well as urinary tract infections. Next, let's discuss renal agenesis. In renal agenesis, the metanephric kidney does not form. 
This occurs when the ureteric bud fails to arise and or to induce the metanephric blastema to differentiate. This disorder is most typically unilateral, but may be bilateral. With bilateral renal agenesis, the fetus has no kidney or kidney function, and a severe Potter sequence develops with severe pulmonary hypoplasia, which is also incompatible with postnatal survival. Fortunately, this is pretty rare, and the large majority of patients have unilateral agenesis. In unilateral agenesis, the sole developing kidney, if normal, will undergo compensatory hypertrophy and is able to compensate for the lack of a partner, such that most patients are asymptomatic and have a normal glomerular filtration rate and renal function throughout their lifetime. However, there is an increased risk that the sole developing kidney is not completely normal, as up to one-third or so of patients it can be dysplastic, meaning it's formed but not normally formed, or associated with ureteral abnormalities such as vesicoureteral reflux or obstruction. In these cases, the patients are at greater risk for CKD and hypertension, as well as increased risk for urinary tract infection if there are associated ureteral abnormalities. Okay, now for a question break. Why are most children with unilateral agenesis asymptomatic? Most children with unilateral agenesis are asymptomatic because the sole-forming kidney is typically normal and develops compensatory hypertrophy to provide the child with a normal glomerulofiltration rate and other renal functions, as well as normal urinary tract drainage. Lastly, let's discuss renal dysplasia. We will begin by talking about the condition called multicystic dysplastic kidney disease. Multicystic dysplastic kidney disease, often referred to as MCDK disease, arises when the ureteric bud has an abnormal interaction with the metanephric mesenchyme. If the interaction is minimal, then the ureteric bud branches aberrantly, forming a series of non-reniform cysts rather than a kidney. The affected kidney has no functional renal tissue and typically involutes, in other words, atrophies, in young childhood. Like renal agenesis, then, if bilateral, this condition would be non-compatible with postnatal life due to a severe Potter sequence and pulmonary hypoplasia. Fortunately, the large majority of cases are unilateral and has good outcomes since the non-affected contralateral kidney, if normal, can compensate with increased filtration and hypertrophy. Similarly, there is increased risk of abnormalities to the contralateral formed kidney with up to a third of patients having either forms of renal hypodysplasia or ureteral abnormalities such as vesicoureteral reflux or obstruction. If complicated by contralateral abnormalities, the patients are at greater risk for CKD and hypertension as well as for urinary tract infection. Moving on to renal hypodysplasia, which is similar but less severe compared to agenesis or MCDK, in renal hypodysplasia there is decreased and or abnormal nephrogenesis. However, there is still some nephrogenesis and functional renal tissue. If unilateral, compensatory hypertrophy of the contralateral kidney can create a similarly favorable prognosis, but there is a significant incidence of bilateral abnormalities. For example, either bilateral hypodysplasia or unilateral hypodysplasia with a different congenital urinary tract anomaly, such as reflux, obstruction, agenesis, or ectopia in the contralateral kidney. 
Those with bilateral abnormalities have varying degrees of CKD depending on the severity of the hypodysplasia and the contralateral abnormality. Part three, what are the congenital anomalies of the ureter? Heading inferiorly from the kidney, we'll next discuss vesico-ureteral reflux, or reflux for short, ureteropelvic junction, or UPJ obstructions, and duplicate ureters. There are additional types of abnormalities of the ureter, but we'll discuss these as they are the most common and representative. Vesico-ureteral reflux occurs when there is retrograde flow of urine from the bladder, as an aside, the medical name for bladder is vesicle, back into the ureters, and sometimes all the way up to the kidneys. Reflux is among the more common of the disorders in this episode, described in up to 1% of all children, but it may be higher due to many asymptomatic cases. Reflux is graded based on the extent of the reflux and how significantly it dilates the ureter and the intrarenal collecting system. Grade 1 reflux involves the reflux moving up the ureter, but only part way and not all the way to the renal pelvis, whereas in grade 2 reflux, the urine refluxes all the way up to the renal collecting system. In both cases, there is no urinary tract dilatation. So on an ultrasound, this would mean there would be no hydronephrosis. In grade 3 reflux, there is some mild dilatation of the ureter and renal pelvis, whereas in grade 4, there is more significant dilation with tortuosity of the ureter. In grade 5 reflux, there is more severe tortuosity of the ureter, as well as thinning of the renal parenchyma and blunting of the renal calyces. This grade is often associated with reflux nephropathy and chronic kidney disease. Reflux may involve one or both ureters and may be primary or secondary. Primary reflux is a primary congenital malformation of the ureter as it inserts into the bladder wall. Normally, it inserts at a fairly sharp angle and with a certain depth into the bladder, such that when the bladder contracts, it closes off the ureteral orifice. If the ureteral insertion is too direct or too shallow, the bladder contraction won't completely close the orifice so that some of the urine in the bladder will reflux up the ureter rather than move forward and out the bladder and into the urethra. Most cases of lower grade reflux will spontaneously resolve because with normal growth, the ureteral insertion will continue to develop and insert more completely. So in many children with primary reflux, the reflux improves or even disappears as they age. Only children with grade 4 or 5 reflux then typically need to have it surgically corrected. Secondary vesico-ureteral reflux occurs when the ureteral development was normal, but an abnormal bladder or bladder outlet, especially with obstruction, increases the pressure within the bladder such that some of the urine refluxes up the ureter rather than out the urethra. A common congenital etiology in males is posterior valves, which we'll discuss in more depth shortly. Complications of reflux include an increased risk of urinary tract infection. Most patients with grade 4 or 5 reflux are also at risk for reflux nephropathy, which is believed to be developmental and occurs as the kidney forms abnormally in utero when there is reflux disrupting normal nephrogenesis. Aspects of reflux nephropathy may also be due to scarring from recurrent pyelonephritis. However, surgical correction of the reflux and prevention of infections has not been shown to lessen the impact of reflux nephropathy. When bilateral, reflux nephropathy may lead to progressive CKD in children. 
And let's review this with a question. Why do some children with bilateral reflux have a reduced GFR? Reduced GFR occurs in reflux because in utero, the reflux may impair development of the kidneys and lead to progressive CKD. Reflux is diagnosed through an imaging test called avoiding cystourethrogram. During this test, a catheter is placed in the bladder, and the bladder is filled with radio-opaque dye, and then the dye is visualized as the bladder contracts and empties. If the dye moves up the ureter rather than out through the urethra, reflux is diagnosed. The management of reflux varies depending on the cause and severity. For those with lower-grade primary reflux, most management is watchful waiting and having a low threshold to evaluate fever or symptoms for UTI. If there are recurrent UTIs, antibiotic prophylaxis may be prescribed. For those with recurrent UTIs not responsive to antibiotics or with higher grades, treatment may be surgical correction. The next ureteral abnormality we will discuss is the ureteral pelvic junction obstruction, or UPJ obstruction for short. This is a partial obstruction of the ureter where it exits from the kidney. It is most often a congenital anomaly due to a persistent narrowing of the ureter in this region, whereas less commonly, we may observe obstruction in a similar region of the proximal ureter due to external compression of the ureter by an abnormally located or crossing renal artery. Diagnosis of UPJ obstructions are usually made by prenatal imaging with prenatal hydronephrosis, and postnatal evaluation confirms a typical severe grade of hydronephrosis, prompting more advanced nuclear or MR imaging techniques to screen for obstruction. The enlarged kidney is also more susceptible to traumatic injury after falls. Surgical correction is typically performed to reduce complications and preserve kidney function, if applicable. The last ureteral abnormality we will discuss is duplication of the ureters. This refers to the presence of more than one ureter arising from a kidney. It arises when the ureteric bud either branches somewhere along its length, a partial duplication, or when the bud arises twice from the mesonephric duct, a complete duplication. Let's quickly review this with a question. How does a partial duplication of the ureter develop? A partial duplication of the ureter arises when the ureteric bud branches somewhere along its length. Most patients with partial ureteral duplication are asymptomatic, and it is diagnosed incidentally. This is because the ureteral insertion into the bladder is unaffected and typically normal. Whereas in complete duplications, there are two ureteral insertions, and one ureter may drain normally into the bladder, while the other ureter may insert into the bladder, but abnormally, such as with reflux or obstruction. And less commonly, the other ureter may drain instead into neighboring structures, including the reproductive organs. Because the second ureter typically inserts abnormally into the bladder or neighboring structures, Complete duplicated ureters raise the risk for hydronephrosis, UTI, as well as reflux. Ureteral duplication is most often detected incidentally and can be detected on multiple imaging techniques, including ultrasound. Part 4. What are the congenital abnormalities of the bladder? The congenital malformations of the bladder we will discuss include bladder extrophy and uracal anomalies. Bladder extrophy is a severe and rare congenital anomaly. It is more common in males, and the cause is not known. 
In this malformation, the anterior body wall below the umbilicus fails to form, and the anterior wall of the developing bladder, urogenital sinus, also fails to form. So the bladder is open and exposed to the outside of the body. This malformation arises early in development and affects the formation of neighboring structures, including the urethra, genitalia, anus, pelvic floor, bony pelvis, and spine. Complex surgery is required for repair of each malformation. Moving on to the uracal anomalies, we'll begin our discussion with a brief review of embryology. Recall that the allantois normally atrophies and becomes the uracus and the median umbilical ligament. Failure of the allantois to atrophy can create a variety of malformations, including a patent uracus, a uracal cyst, and a vesico-uracal diverticulum. A patent uracus, also called a uracal fistula, arises when the entire uracal lumen fails to close or atrophy. This creates an abnormal open tract between the bladder and the umbilicus through which urine may leak. A uracal cyst arises from atrophy of only some portions of the allantois, leaving a cyst between the umbilicus and the bladder. This cyst can rupture, causing pain and infection. A vesico-uracal diverticulum arises from partial atrophy of the allantois, but a remnant connecting to the bladder. In this case, the entire allantois atrophies except the region of attachment to the bladder, which creates a slight extension from the bladder that can be a nidus for infection. Part 5. What are posterior urethral valves? Continuing along the urinary tract, We'll limit our discussion of the bladder outlet and urethral congenital anomalies to posterior urethral valves, also called PUV, or valves for short. This is the one anomaly we'll discuss that is derived from the urogenital sinus. Valves are a congenital malformation of the prostatic urethra and therefore only present in males. They are important clinically because they can obstruct urine flow and pose risk for urinary tract infections, acute kidney injury, and progressive CKD. They also may lead to long-term dysfunction of the bladder. Most agree that these so-called valves are membranes left over from tissue that forms normally during fetal development in the posterior region of the prostatic urethra. In these patients, the valves or membranes persist, resulting in an obstruction of the bladder outlet. The bladder fills and intends to empty and results in hydroureter and hydronephrosis. The high-pressure system may disrupt nephrogenesis and lead to chronic kidney disease, as well as cause the bladder muscle to hypertrophy, thicken, trabeculate, and be stiff and noncompliant. Therefore, to summarize, complications of valves arise from the obstructed urine flow and develop in the following sequence. First, obstruction in the urethra leads to hypertrophy of the bladder wall muscle. Bladder wall thickening can raise intravesicular pressures. Elevated bladder pressure can be transmitted into the ureters and cause reflux. This, in turn, is associated with hydroureter, hydronephrosis, and increased risk of UTI. This high-pressure system in utero also impairs development of the kidney and may cause impaired renal function and CKD, which when severe can be another cause of oligohydramnios and a severe Potter sequence. Let's review this pathophysiology once more with a question. How can posterior valves result in reflux? 
a blockage of urine flow caused by the valves leads to increased bladder pressure, which may disrupt the insertion of the ureters, leading to reflux. When a male neonate presents with severe bilateral hydronephrosis, especially with associated hydroureter or bladder abnormalities, such as distended, thick-walled, trabeculated bladders, valves must be excluded. Yikes, I wonder if our patient Troy might have this. Neonates should be evaluated with both an ultrasound and a VCUG, the latter to functionally evaluate how the bladder is emptying and if it is able to empty. Once diagnosed, valves can often be corrected by cystoscopic surgery. However, the baby's urinary tract developed with this severe abnormality, so there's a high incidence of CKD and bladder dysfunction even after surgical correction, and the latter may require medications to relax the bladder to allow filling, and is still non-responsive, a clean intermittent catheterization regimen. And that's all I have today for congenital disorders of the urinary system. So let's see if we've completed our goals for this episode. Can you describe some of the congenital anomalies of the kidney? Horseshoe kidney arises when the lower poles of the two metanephric kidneys fuse in the midline and become blocked from migrating into the abdomen when caught under the inferior mesenteric artery. Ectopic kidneys arise when the involved kidney fails to migrate. The most common location is the pelvis. Renal agenesis occurs when one or both metanephric kidneys fail to form either due to failure of the ureteric bud to form or for the ureteric bud to induce the metanephric mesenchyme to develop. Multicystic dysplastic kidney occurs when multiple cysts form instead of a normal metanephric kidney. The kidney is non-functional. And renal hypodysplasia means an under or abnormally formed kidney. And what is the management and outcomes for each of these anomalies of the kidney? In all cases, unilateral forms of these abnormalities will typically have a good prognosis as the contralateral kidney will compensate, but there is risk for contralateral malformations too, in which case patients may have something as severe as a Potter sequence and die shortly after birth, as with bilateral agenesis or bilateral multicystic dysplastic kidney, or less severely have increased risk for hypertension and chronic kidney disease, as with bilateral renal hypodysplasia. Now, can you describe congenital anomalies of the ureters? Vesico-ureteral reflux is the backward flow of urine from the bladder into the ureter, leading to hydroureter, hydronephrosis, and risk for urinary tract infection. Ureteric pelvic junction obstruction is a narrowing of the ureter as it exits the kidney, leading to hydronephrosis. Partial duplication of the ureters involves branching of the ureteric bud along its length so that the ureter has two attachments to the kidney and one to the bladder, whereas complete duplication of the ureters arises when two ureteric buds form, each giving rise to a complete ureter with attachments to both the kidney and the bladder. Great! Next, can you describe congenital anomalies of the urinary bladder? Bladder extrophy is a rare, serious malformation that arises when the interior abdominal wall fails to close and the inner wall of the bladder is exposed through the defective anterior body wall. 
failure of the allantoist atrophy can lead to a patent uracus, a uracal cyst, or a vesicoureal diverticulum. And lastly, can you discuss the condition of posterior urethral valves, including its complications and immediate management and long-term outcomes? Posterior urethral valves are a cause of bladder outlet obstruction in males. Complications include secondary reflux, hydrouretor, hydronephrosis, and UTI, as well as a significant incidence of chronic kidney disease and impaired bladder function. And that's it. Let's get back to our patient from the beginning of this episode. You are seeing Troy, who presented at nine weeks of age with poor growth and acute onset of fever and lethargy in the context of a prenatal abnormality of his kidneys and urinary tract. He has a series of electrolyte abnormalities and significantly elevated BUN and creatinine. As you prepare to explain your concerns about Troy's impaired kidney function to his parents, you wonder, is this a reversible cause of kidney injury? And what is Troy's prognosis for the long term? Based on Troy's age, sex, and presentation, you are particularly concerned that he may have posterior valves. You explain to his parents that there may be a blockage preventing Troy's bladder from draining his urine, which is making it hard for him to grow, and may have caused urinary tract infection and impacted his kidney function. You plan to consult pediatric specialists in urology and nephrology immediately, who can help correct and relieve the bladder obstruction and start to support the kidney functions. You share optimism that the obstruction can be corrected, but caution Troy's parents that there could be a long road ahead to help optimize and maximize the function of Troy's bladder and kidney. And that's all I have for today's audio break. Thanks for joining me. If you liked this episode, give it a thumbs up or a comment. You can enjoy the full Brick experience online at www.usmle-rx.com, complete with illustrations, questions, flashcards, and active learning. Stay healthy out there.